into sports. 20 yards out, Ursa shoot, don't shoot! Oh, oh what a goal for Fabinho! Wow! Then get into the all new OTB Sports app. I think when he apologises to me, I probably will say hello to him, yeah. No. Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Abregas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what are you doing? Get a slap. Plus, exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports. Ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. I'm a very confident front runner for Caddy for 33 years, 145 wins now, and that's the best win I've ever had. I have no idea what you have. I don't know. I'm, how are we going to count all the shots? If you, I, I can't keep track. I don't think he's pleased. Of course, you would. That's a, that's a particularly stupid question. If they are, show up. Of course, you want to play at the weekend. Hello there, you're welcome along. It's Golf Weekly 2021. We are excited about the year ahead. First week of January, Nathan Murphy, Happy New Year. Hello. Happiest of New Year wishes to you, Joe. And Fionn Davenport, happiest New Year wishes to you also. Hello. And to you both. Happy New Year, lads. So here we are. Quiet start to the New Year. Goodness ah, me. What's going feed on? Feet up. Yep. Relaxed. No end of the world feel at all last night. <laughs> I did yeah. notice the At Golf Weekly uh, Twitter feed pointed out that still watch the pro golfers queue up to play with Trump. And I thought to myself, well, I wonder, Fionn Davenport, which of us tweeted that? I mean, three <laughs> guesses. It was me. It no was kidding. me. No kidding, it was you. Of course it was me, because Nathan adopted a kind of a humorous take on the whole thing. Um, you, you had a kind of a more straight bat, like, this is batshit crazy. But Nathan, Nathan wants to be banned from Twitter for 12 hours so he can get some sleep. Wasn't that the... Oh, well, I had all these great plans for the new year as to bringing down my digital intake. And then I'm giving myself a free pass last night going, these uh, are the yeah. sort of seismic events that you want to be a part of and you've got to be watching, you've got to be seeing what's happening. But it does sort of prove that even as the world is about to end, people will be online sort of half joking about it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's... Like, obviously, there is a kind of a pointed barb in, in my tweet. I mean, we, we can talk about it. I think it's completely true. Um, I don't think it's like the number one most important thing. But, you know, it's, uh, it does reflect a country that is deeply divided. And, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, golf's association with Trump is now thrown into a much starker light. Uh, it's uh, these are difficult times ahead for the PGA and all its associated members, and uh, those of whom, as I saw, was it uh, Dave Hannigan tweeted, any golfer who's played with Trump over the last four years really needs to take a long, hard look at themselves. Which is, you know, it's a stern thing. It's a mm. stern rebuke, but uh, it's a long list as well. It's a pretty. Long, I was going to say is is that like it's more like it's a much it's a it's much easier to find the ones that haven't played golf with them. I think. Yeah. But, uh, so, uh, I mean, on the humorous point, and I, I was on OTBM this morning and Jer made the point that initially it was like slightly terrifying, you know, because mm. there's every chance one of those morons has a gun and are you going to have 
20, 30 people shot dead, how many senators shot dead. And then it emerged that they had broke in, uh, fully not expecting to be able to break in, couldn't believe their luck. And there was a degree of tourism and high farce about the whole thing. And they were stealing stands and posing for pictures and sitting in Nancy Pelosi's chair. And it was just kind of hilarious. I mean, it was, it was farcical. Uh, and at that point, I think the humor was, was okay. So like, there is a serious side to it because it's so symbolic of so much that is wrong and the effect of uh, social media included. We as humans and human institutions just can't keep pace with it. Mm. And it is really grim and really serious because it does represent some problems that are so difficult to untangle. And then there was just the um, side of it that was hilarious. And the other thing, actually, because... I got up this morning and, and, and flicked through all the um, various news reports. Maybe this is a symptom of us being from a small-ish country where even a person dying in a road traffic accident makes the 6-1 news. The fact that four people died last night isn't really like the lead item at all on the news. You know, four people died, maybe in a population of 330 million. That just has less of an impact. But like... Like last night was tragic. Four people died. It's just insane that that happened. All the while, the Donald was behaving like a madman. Well, was he behaving like a madman or was he? Well, I mean, yes, sure. But like, you know, Godwin's law, even being aware of Godwin's law, which is you have to be careful about where you using certain words, but Donald Trump's a fascist. Like he's the fascist in the kind of, not in the throwaway insult, I don't agree with your right-wing politics, you're a fascist. I mean, he's an actual fascist. This is a man who, in order to pursue his own goals, will usurp the democratic norm completely. Mm. Um, I mean, the phone call to your man in in Georgia the other day, but also as well as when you actually break down the tone of his words yesterday, you know, in the morning in front of the White House and saying, we will never rest, we will never rest. His son comes on and goes, um, this, is not, this is not the Republican Party anymore. This is Donald Trump's Republican Party. Like, it's more or less, he is now dictator in, in all but actual title, you know? And, and so what happened yesterday, and sure, and it is important to say that for the most part, most of the people who showed up in, in protest against the election had no business or interest to break into the grounds of the Congress. So that's only a few hundred people. But when you have Rudy Giuliani, who's going that it's going to be an ordeal by blood or a trial by blood or whatever wording he used yesterday morning, it's like, how on earth does anybody think that what happened yesterday, as extreme and as insane, as unprecedented, I mean, you got to remember, it's not since, is it 1812 since the British stormed the, the Congress, that, that there has been anyone invading uh, the House of Congress. But um, like, how, how can anybody be left in no doubt that they have fomented this? Donald Trump has fomented this. And that is the hallmark of a fascist. It's the tin pot, cheap, not a particularly good one, but a fascist nonetheless. And yeah, and like, I don't think you can call it anything else. Mm. Um, it's so disappointing that you don't even need to be a particularly good one to inspire so many idiots. I mean, it's really worrying. We see the full scale of humanity, don't we? The geniuses who managed to come up with a vaccine uh, to this mm. virus and those who won't even take the vaccine for spurious reasons like i wasn't i don't pay too much attention to that group the uh idiots who broke in last night i'm not interested in them overly at 
view them as largely disenfranchised and angry and not that bright or well-educated, frankly. If I'm being frank about it, that's how I see them. So the QAnon conspiracy theory stuff was news to me last night because Donny O'Sullivan, Donny O'Sullivan of CNN fame, who's now Ireland's most beloved reporter, uh, he was talking so about man, how... Yeah, yeah, good on him. He did great. Yeah. He was talking at length about how so many of those there last night were quoting the QAnon conspiracy theory. And I thought, right, yeah. okay, well, I'm not... This stuff doesn't interest me generally, but I better actually see what this is. And, you know, if you're new, we were chatting just before coming in air and you've been aware of this for a long time. So, you know, yeah, uh, QAnon conspiracy theory to the effect that Donald Trump's waging a secret war against a pedophile ring at all levels of government and finance and media, etc. I kind of thought, like, that can't, it can't be that lame. There's got to be a better conspiracy theory. You know, so, <laughs> surely we could have dreamt up something better than that. How has this, even with, you know, the force that Facebook and social media carries, how can this have permeated into the minds of so many? That's but, what I was unbelievable. It's worrying. But it is, is and the latest. Sorry, Nathan, go on. So, sorry, I was just, before you probably go on to QAnon, I think, Joe, you described it well there, that I think from the outside, what's often put back on people when you're talking about that Trump mob is that, well, you just don't understand them, that they have suffered, they haven't been given opportunities in life, and because of this, there's this anger in middle America that we simply couldn't understand. Whereas actually, they're young lads who are bored, who are spending 10 hours a day on the internet, on message boards, all riling each other up, instead of spending 10 hours a day on playing football manager, they're just there getting angrier and angrier. And it's not that they've been denied opportunities in life. It's just that they don't have a huge amount going on. So this is their outlet. And somehow it's spewed out into this violence and rage and Trump has become their de facto leader. That I, I think at the time, very early in this, was a sense when Trump was first going that he tapped into a part of America that's voice wasn't heard, which we constantly hear now, obviously, from conservatives that they're being silenced. But actually, these are just quite uneducated, dull bored yeah. people who found some sort of a weird outlet that is so damaging to everyone else. And there is no doubt that the genuinely disenfranchised of, say, the Rust Belt uh, were drawn to Trump initially. And I think a lot of those are just very good people who, are, in truth, have been screwed by the system. That is, unfortunately, the nature of the world. And uh, slowly but surely, uh, those with any sense have realized what a crook he is and you know, what, a, what a nut job he is, and they've withdrawn away from him. And now all Trump has are the loonies. Like the great irony of the whole thing is, can you imagine, can you imagine privately the disdain Trump has for these people? That's almost oh. the, the most oh, yeah. delicious part of the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, the QAnon people are just the latest of a series of fringe groups that have coalesced to kind of give Trump or to amplify the Trump message. So a couple of years ago, it was the white supremacists who, marked it, who marched in Charlottesville. This year, it's... It, you hear a lot more about QAnon and, and as you said, that kind of insane conspiracy theory that's based around that, that um, it's about the deep state and how it controls everything and that it is an extension of this massive pedophile ring. So you might remember, remember the, 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 the thing that went around was it maybe a year and a half ago about the pizza shop in Pennsylvania about that was a, a ring, a pedophile ring headquarters and some guy with a gun walked in and wanted to confront them all and then was disarmed and realized, well, there's actually nothing going on other than if you want to buy deep dish pizza or I'll have pepperoni, please. Um, mm. But there was no pedophiles. And, but I mean, what's interesting is, is that a friend of mine who, an American journalist who 
works in Washington, was saying last night, and I thought it was interesting, in a strange paradoxical way, the events of yesterday are so extreme and so are so unacceptable to the vast majority of Americans that in a weird way that, that it has taken the shine off Trumpism for a lot of people who would have, say, forgiven the, you know, the extreme behavior on Twitter or the, the, the making fun of people that he does or all of that, and would have seen that more as just Trump showbiz nonsense. You know, there's like, oh, just ignore the way he does it. Sure, he's a bit coarse. Sure, he might say things. Sure, he might make fun of a guy with a disability. But ultimately... Trump is about bringing American jobs back to the heartland. And well, but I think, no, sorry, but my point is, is that I think for a lot of these people, the events of yesterday will have horrified them. Well, hang on a second. This is not right. Interesting you say that because the very person you described there is Jack Nicholas. It's Jack Nicholas. Everything well, you said did, there about explaining. Well, uh, I mean, we're awaiting. We're awaiting. I'm sure. I mean, if, if it's as lengthy as his most recent post on Donald Trump, then it might take some time. So, uh, getting back to golf. Okay, to a point, and we don't have to strict, strictly limit ourselves to golf here, but uh, there is that link. So, on the golfing front, there are two parts to this. One, there is unofficial golf. So there is Jack Nicholas and friends, the queue of players who have lined up to play with Trump and clearly endorse Trump. Uh, so that, there's that aspect to golf. And then secondly, there is official golf. So Jeff Shackelford, for instance, on his website said, Trump Bedminster is the host of the 2022 PGA Championship. Uh, Donald Trump is the founder of the club. Given the events of yesterday, there is no way this major championship can continue at the venue. Mm. I mean, I, so, there, I mean, I, I, Jack Nicklaus and friends, you know, uh, less important, and I don't think they're suddenly all going to become Democrat. Although you would like to think, even in the most weaselly Mike Pence, Mitch McConnell-esque way, they might at least weasel away from Trump, at least. But we'll yeah, wait but and see. It was the arsonist who then kind of just puts on the fireman's clothes, you know, yeah. afterwards. But, but the second point is more interesting to discuss. Official golf and Trump. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think the PGA is, got, is, is, is in a sticky situation today. Mm. However... Like, <laughs> I mean, obviously, I don't know what the minds of the PGA, the PGA committees are today, but you can only wager and say, oh, this is not, this is an awkward one. So there'll be, I mean, yesterday there was calls for him to be impeached. Yesterday there was calls for the 25th Amendment to be invoked, to literally remove him from office because he is no longer mentally capable of performing the duties of president. So th- today, but here's the thing, the PGA don't have to decide on whether to remove the 2022 PGA Championship, which will take place in May of next year, from Trump Bedminster. I would wager that we will hear very little or, or something to the effect of, well, we're going to examine everything. Obviously, the events are unpalatable to all Americans. We stand against violence and certainly, you know, blah, 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 the hallowed halls of Congress, all that kind of stuff. And we will take our time and look at all our options. And then, fingers crossed, hope that it all dies down, we move on to the next or the new cycle times 10, and then quietly in May of 2022, the events of January 6th, 2021, are so far in the past that the PGA Championship will go ahead as planned. Mm. I would think that's odds on, Nathan. Yeah, well, money will talk as well in terms of it being cancelled. If this was to escalate to an extent that Donald Trump is completely toxic to sponsors of golf and those around the U.S. Open that they feel 
we simply can't be involved in this. That would be the driving force. But I think Fiona's dead right. What we're going to get, if we get anything over the coming weeks, are statements around we have more violence, that this doesn't represent the American dream, people need to stand back. But no great criticism. And it is, it is considering what has developed over the last year, almost impossible to predict what is going to happen, firstly, in the next two weeks with Trump. And after that, does he quietly just disappear off and play golf? Or is he emboldened by this? Is he going to go to war with the Republican Party? Is he going to run for president? Once again, is he going to be looking at that US Open as he did in 2017 and be front of center like he was at the US Women's Open where it was at the 15th tee behind the par three where he had the marquee and he stood there overlooking everybody in this incredibly awkward manner? So I, I would be, right now I would say chances are it does go ahead there. I just, mm. but things are moving at such a incredibly rapid pace. Like, is it going to be, a talking point at the Tournament of Champions? I don't think so. Are players going to be asked about this? Obviously, Tiger isn't there. Rory isn't there. None of the big superstars. Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau. These players aren't going to say anything that anyone really cares about regarding Donald Trump. Tiger is basically the only one that matters. And we're not going to see Tiger, I presume, for a month or so. He's not going to say anything anyways. So golf will just roll on and we'll pretend none of this ever really happened. Mm. Trying not to draw too much attention to us. Like Bryson celebrated his U.S. Open win with the Trumps at a Prum, mm. at Trump uh, property that evening. Yeah, was it not Bedminster? Might Maybe well have been Bedminster. Yeah. Mm. Ah, yeah. I mean, look. I mean, like, I mean, that earlier thing is like, you know, Rory McIlroy played golf with Trump. Is he somehow responsible for you know? Does he bear any? No, absolutely not. Um, interestingly, I don't know if you saw. No, but this, to be lad. fair to him, and known as saying anyone who played golf with Trump bears any great responsibility. No. But Rory did come out subsequently this uh, late last year. I said he and wouldn't say, do it again. I wouldn't do it again. Yeah, and absolutely. He did make it clear that, like, without explicitly saying is that, look, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't vote. You know, he actually did say it. I wouldn't vote for Trump if I could vote in an American election. Um, so uh, it's interesting. To, I don't know if you saw, did you see Nicola Sturgeon throwing her, her bit of shade? Mm-hmm. To, so there... Apparently, according to um, Peter Swindon in, uh, is it the Sunday Post or whatever, Glaswegian newspaper, is that there's military preparations taking place at Prestwick Airport consistent with the arrival of Donald Trump post the 20th of January. And then Nicholas Sturgeon apparently said that um, come to play golf is not what I would consider to be an essential purpose. So basically she's saying, don't come here because uh, you Tech, you are not allowed under the terms of our lockdown. Yeah. So uh, and she, I, and I saw the clip. The she said it in a in a sterner voice than you did as well. Yeah. It was like <laughs> it was it was just um, disdain, uh, drenched in disdain. You know. And I think she made a quip about how she was quite uh, pleased to hear that he would be vacating the White House. You know. So yeah. I mean, really, couldn't have made him more unwelcome. Well, then it opens up the possibility that he might come to uh, to Trump Dune Bag, and so. he'd be very welcome by the locals. He would be very welcome by the locals. I'd be curious as to how Michal Martin would uh, would uh, would deal with that. We Given that no one else can play golf. Kill Kelly band out to give him a welcome as he comes down <laughs> the steps of the private jet. You're, you're, you're right, Fiona, in, in terms of individuals playing golf with Trump. They've clearly made a decision. A lot of them respect the office of the presidency and have gone down that route. But like, we can't ignore that golf has welcomed Trump with open arms. Absolutely. Has emboldened them, encouraged them done everything possible to feel that he is a president that is good for golf. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 
Like none of us have a problem because I know we have, um, I know we've listeners obviously uh, in the States and a lot of them are Republican and they're like, you can't talk about Democrats and Republican like this is good and evil, you know? And sometimes I think we're guilty of doing that a touch. But like Trump is a whole other level. Trump is a whole other level. But Trump wasn't a Republican until what? The year before he, like Trump, Trump would have been, Trump would have been like what they call in America, blue dog Democrat. Mm. Like, um, like he would have been a natural Democrat. You know, he's a Queens born New Yorker, you know, um, and even though he, he accrued wealth that traditionally his main, like, I mean, this is a guy who was friendly with Hillary Clinton, like once upon a time, you know, um, and invited Sir uh, Bill and Hillary were guests at his wedding to Melania. Like it's not, you know, that's somehow, and you're absolutely right, Joe, this isn't about like, oh, bad Republicans versus good Democrats, you know, it's, um, but it is about, it's about a swathe of political opinion in the United States that is so to the extreme as to be dangerous to democracy, not like as in, ooh, I mean, look, geez, I watched Joe Biden's uh, speech or his little comments last night and I kept thinking, Jesus, he's all the energy of a bingo caller in a retirement yeah. home. It's <laughs> like, oh, sweet mother of God. He has really, he, really he overachieved. Oh. He has overachieved big yeah. time, this boy. Yeah, he's, hey, I can just see him going top of the house, 88. You know, it's like, uh, oh my God. But yeah. you're absolutely right. But I mean, but there is no, and the thing is, is that um, Trump, Trump is a malign presence under any democratic norm. Mm. Well, like when you consider the last four years is who are the people that he seemed to get on best with internationally? Autocrats. Like this is a guy who fights with, with, you know, democratically elected leaders. This is a guy who's friend. Like he made a big thing about how friendly he is with Kim Jong Un. He's um, Erdogan is a big supporter. Bolsonaro in Brazil. These are all men who have absolutely no interest in democratic norms. And whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, whether you vote Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, Sinn Fein, the Labour Party, it doesn't matter what. What we all have in common is, is that we agree that democratic norms are, have primacy over everything else. These guys don't. They do not. And I have seen nothing, I have read nothing in four years to suggest to me that he does. All of this, and I'm going to say it's absolute bollocks about like, you know, we have to protect our elections. He couldn't care less about the election if... Like, he, he has no interest. I'll tell you, this is the one that made me laugh, is two of the Congress people that were elected from Georgia, Republicans, they went down to Georgia with Trump to, you know, to do the stop the steal, stop the steal. And one of them, I can't remember her name, so forgive me, but she was asked, is, is like, well, um, you have a problem with the, with the vote in Georgia. And he goes, absolutely, it was stolen, 100%. He goes, but you don't, you, don't, you don't have a problem with your vote where you won. And she's like, no, absolutely not, just the president's. But on the ballot, you vote for the president and the people for Congress. It's the same ballot. So explain to me why this a duly elected representative in the United States is so stupid or so cynical as to say, that this ballot, oh no, 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 it was stolen for the Democrats, but the ones with my name on it are okay. It's just, it's madness. These people have no interest. None, none whatsoever. And so for that reason, yeah. I'm out. Good luck. 
Yeah. Yeah. Back it I, up, I, sorry. <laughs> well, God knows where. It was Van Jones was saying last night, we don't know if this is the end of something or if this is actually just mm. the start of mm. something. And I'm sure there are many golfers who will look back as time continues to go on and wonder why they played golf with Trump and where does this go over the next five, ten years? And how complicit were they? I'm not sure. But again, that love that he felt by having some of the world's greatest sports stars spend five, six hours of their time and feel privileged to do so. Yeah. Feeds into that confidence, that arrogance. Yeah, because I don't think their influence is is great in any real terms. Like, I think even if Tiger Woods had objected to him in the most vociferous, attention-grabbing way you could imagine, it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference. You know, ultimately, I don't think they have contributed in any way. But um, the silence was deafening, that's for sure. And it was generally more than silence. It was a ringing endorsement. I'm going to segue because we got a kind of touching some golf as well so um, we'll see how all that goes down tournament of champions we're back we're in hawaii we're at the plantation course which with each passing year doesn't feel like the best name for this golf course but we're at the plantation course and nonetheless dustin johnson not surprisingly is your favorite justin thomas favorite last year sorry winner last year rather is second favorite john ram who we're going to talk about now is third in the betting Bryson DeChambeau had some interesting things to say about the speed targets he's going for this season. And they were into Xander and Patrick Reed and so on. So uh, John Ram, I mean, we don't need to say much about DJ in any great detail. It's uh, keep the handbrake down, full steam ahead for Dustin Johnson this year. Uh, John Ram, Augusta, eighth hole, second shot. He hits a perfectly good uh, ball, swings it well, and because of those tailor-made clubs and ball, the ball shoots off. He tops it, and he says, right, that's it. Callaway, I'm going with you. He is committed to (laughs) a a full bag of Callaway clubs, including a prototype driver, irons, and the new golf ball. He will uh, also use an Odyssey putter and wear Travis Matthew clothing. I'm not too familiar with Travis uh, Matthew clothing. Peter Alice always said of Ram that he had a lot of leg in his trouser, and he does. He strikes me as a difficult man to clothe, so I'm looking mm. forward to seeing how uh, he pitches up this year. I have confidence in my new Callaway clubs, and especially the golf ball, which has really impressed me during the testing process, said Ram. And he reportedly shot a 59 course record, uh, 59 at the Silverleaf Country Club in uh, Scottsdale over the winter. I mean, first thought I had was Justin Thomas. I know uh, maybe Callaway aren't as much of a punt as Hanma were, but you just think Justin Rose two in the world. What did I say, Thomas? Yeah, Thomas. sorry, Rose, Rose, of course, Rose. Uh, you just think, say, you know, number two in the world on the precipice of winning a major, and I, I don't see an upside. I mean, there must be a financial one, and uh, he's made a big play, Nathan, out of the fact that he played Callaway in college. So maybe there's a residual love there and a residual kind of familiarity there. But um, everything is going well in John Rand's game, effectively. And he's done this, and you're thinking, it can't be worth the money. It can't be. Unless, as you say, actually, the last few years when he wasn't playing with Callaway, he was itching to get back. And as he's emerging out of college, he signs a deal with TaylorMade, with Adidas, and there's always a part of him that would feel more comfortable back at Callaway, then it's all just fine. But even this week, it seems as though he's not going to go with all Callaway. He's, I think he's going to go with the ball, uh, which seems to be the biggest and most divisive talking point around this. But that even though he's had a good winter, he shot 59, still when it comes to tournament play, he's going to ease himself in to the full set of irons. 
yeah, like the money's big. I'm sure the money is is huge, but the money when you're the world number two for everything is big. Yeah, you can go to Abu Dhabi and the money is big. Mm. And I don't think it's Rory McIlroy moving to Nike big. So the risk that is involved, you've got to assume he has weighed this up. But you look at his backroom team, you look at some of the people that he's around, their links with Callaway. There's obviously, this is a move that's been coming down the tracks for quite a while. And you hope that it isn't a Justin Rose. And even Rory had quite a few teething problems initially with Nike. I know he won a couple of majors, but there were serious teething problems and serious questions about it that we're not sitting in here in a year going, ah, oh, John Ram, down to 35th in the world. Can't believe he did that. Yeah, because you, you just need a little bit to be off. And then you're like, is it the equipment? Is it my swing? I'll change my swing a touch. Or maybe it was the equipment after all. You can see how so quickly you get into just that dark hole that golfers can go into. And it can just eat up months and months and months. And then like the ball, even Paul McGinley was chatting to us uh, last year and, and just uh, even off air, he was uh, making the point as we were saying our, our goodbyes. And he, you know, he knew the Ram news was brewing. And he said, you know, even Harrington, who played with Wilson, not at the forefront of golf clubs, was still very particular about the golf ball he played with. And it wasn't a Wilson ball. So even the golf ball around the greens, think of some of the shots Rams played this year, that chip to win, I don't know which turn it was at this stage, but there's an unbelievable chip where he was, you know, alleged to have, did the ball move, did it not move? But, you know, the quality of short game, like that's that's years of playing with that same golf ball day after day, chipping it, getting used to the spin. Look, maybe, and he may, you know, he talked about the ball. Maybe they can replicate things, and they are, the ball is the exact specification of what he was playing at TaylorMade. And you know, there's a degree of like the footballer who uh, wanted to wear a certain type of boots and put the black polish over the Adidas stripes or whatever. You know, uh, maybe that's all there, but. Um, I just uh, don't like the smell of this at all. This seems like such a needless momentum interrupter. Like this could be six months of the year and four majors are gone from. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with both of you. I think uh, it was interesting. And I, you said we talked to Paul before Christmas and he did say it was like, the, you know, and perhaps as amateurs, we don't realize the extent to which the ball you play will have such a tangible effect on your performance. But, you know, playing, he's going like everything. So he's gone the Chrome Soft X golf ball, um, the Callaway wedges. He will put an Odyssey putter in the bag at some point, but he is testing different models at the moment. The Callaway irons, the Callaway driver. He's going to wear clothes made under the umbrella group owned by Callaway. It's like... It's like Callaway just vomited up all over him, and mm. here he is. Hey, everyone! Like changing, um, changing, changing putter. He's one of those uh, putters yeah. with that red spider type putter, isn't That's he? That's right. Oh, I don't want I, to see that out of his hands just yet. And, and it's so. As you look, I mean, he speaks confidently about it. Money talks, and everything else is mm. whatever. But mm. um, yeah, I mean, he he's taken. You have to. He's taken a massive gamble. Having said all of that, it was as you were describing the changeover, and it is, obviously, it's the most dramatic changeover a golfer can make. I was thinking about something I'd read years ago, but when Jack Nicklaus first went over to Europe to play in the Open Championship, like he wouldn't bring his clubs. Like, he'd contact someone and go, here, just get a set of McGregor's for me, will you? And he would literally go over, play a couple of practice rounds with a, prayer, with a set of clubs he'd never seen before, yeah. and then go out and, like, obviously, different times, but, like, how far we have come. Mm. But, um, well, we'll see this week. I mean, he generally, uh, over the last two, three years, doesn't go more than four or five rounds without a top 10 finish. So we're going to know pretty mm. quickly where he's at. And, where he's at. and, and it's, it's what's key 
is how he reacts if there's a bit of a slump. You know, if he starts messing with his swing or does he go down the equipment route or is it a bit of both? And then you're just really into messy territory. Justin Rose won on his second appearance with Hanma, but still things uh, went awry. Sorry, Nathan. Sorry, no, I, I think you touched on it that it's maybe more a psychological thing as much as anything else. It doesn't seem that radical. I know that the consensus is that tailor-made by and large produce the best equipment, that it's what people want to be playing with. But like Callaway are a very established brand. It's not quite the same as Justin Rose going completely off kilter, but it is more the if he starts the year slowly, the questions start emerging and you start questioning mm-hmm. yourself. Now maybe, again, he is so self-confident it doesn't matter. Maybe he's not one of those players who is like Tiger Woods and picks up the club and notices it's half a kilo lighter than previous. Any of those things. Maybe actually it all just rolls in and he's not overthinking it and we're reading way too much into this. But the second things go wrong, the clubs come into question. Mm. Yeah, I, that's absolutely, I think that's, you're absolutely right. It's, it's the, you can convince yourself it's anything. And if you're playing with all brand new equipment, it takes very little to convince yourself that there's something wrong with it. Mm. Bryson DeChambeau has been talking. He still hasn't quite got to the bottom of the illness at uh, Augusta, by the way, but he was asked about his targets for the year ahead. And he's targeting 210 mile per hour ball speed. He's managed 211 on the range. Now, in competition, he's never beaten 193 miles per hour in competition. So he wants consistently to hit 210 miles per hour ball speed. So I make it one mile per hour equals two yards. So he's looking for an extra 17 miles per hour. So that's an extra 34 yards off the tee he's hoping to gain on average. And if we just go to basic maths, 210 mile per hour ball speed times two yards equals 420 yard drives. Thank you very much. That's where he's looking to get to. That's still a big gap though. He's never broken 193 in competition. So 210, it's not going to happen tomorrow, I presume. Maybe it will. Well, this is the course to do tor- it. If ever there was a course <laughs> in the tournament to do it, this is yeah. the one. Yeah. There's holes on this course where <laughs> if you have the ability to drive it over 400 yards, you're having to reel it in a little bit. Yeah. The longest official drive ever at the plantation course, 476 yards. Uh, Davis loved the third at the 18th and 04. Obviously, if you catch the hill, you know, mm. n- mad things can happen. But did, uh, Bryson going for hell for leather at this course means I'll be staying up late. Oh, I think he's got a brilliant chance. I think, I think he's about 9 or 10 to 1, not only because of the distance and the wide open fairways, but I think McGinley touched on it before Christmas that one of the reasons he doesn't like him at Augusta is that he likes to run the ball up to the hole. You mm. can do that day, all day long mm. at the plantation from any distance. Uh, so, and he's played well there before. It is whether he loses the run of himself and realizes, you know what, I can. This is the time I'm going to go. Think of the headlines. Think of the headlines if I'm going and I'm hitting these speeds. Does he believe his own hype? World record's 228, by the way. That's uh, right. Kyle Berkshire. We should try and get Kyle oh, Berkshire on the show. He's the, the, long, top... the, long, uh, the long drive champion. Yes. He's a legend. He He's the Annika Sorenstam slash Tiger Woods of the long drive. He said that in 2019. So yeah. two, 228 miles per hour. Bryson reckons if he gets to 210 on average, that's plenty. That's a sweet spot. That's where he can sort of stay on the golf course, but also dominate so that's where his head's at yeah i was i was telling i was i was talking to a golfing friend this morning and it kind of almost like just came out and i was like ugh, i'm getting so bored of this speed talk and he replied and he goes yeah yeah sure but if he keeps winning there's nothing boring about it i'm okay, like bryson talk you meant right? that was so freudian you said speed talk 
No, oh, did speed. You say speed. Ah, speed. No, ah, I said speed. Ah, here, look, Jesus. It's like what speed, speed talk? No, and I really associate speed with this tournament. Yeah, I know. Uh, no, no, no. I mean the speed talk. It's like this. It's just. Speed. And then my friend just goes, yep, but if he wins, it's not boring. And it's, mm. it's absolutely true. So the only thing that matters is you got to win consistently, not every yeah. time. You just got to win. I, d- I don't think uh, Nathan, he was exempt. I mean, the last time he won was the British Open. Rory could have played, but he chose not to. He, yeah, yeah, but the, so they have changed the Tournament of Champions this year. So yeah. Tony Finau is playing. Tony Finau hasn't won in four years at this stage. So they've oh. invited more players. So it used to be such a small field where... Some years you might. I think they've eight at the top 10 in the world this year because of that. And yeah. it means it's a stack to field. They've got more players playing, whereas sometimes you might have ended up with 27 players playing for the four days. So they've invited 10, 15, if not more, extra players. There's 42 in the field last year that was 35. Mm. So they've what invited players who didn't win. Tournament of Champions year. and other guys. And Tony other guys. Now at the Tournament of Champions. My God, even yeah. Peter Laurie would acknowledge that's nonsense. <laughs> Justin Thomas is he's he's got to be favourite, hasn't he? No, it's DJ, and then it's Bryce. Oh, DJ loves this place. I mean, DJ. I thought Justin Thomas has won here twice. He won so last DJ, year, certainly. He? DJ's won a bunch of times here as well. He had oh, the greatest okay. shot of all time, according to Brandel Chambly, mm. who we'll be talking about <laughs> yeah. in a few moments' time. At uh, nearly the hole in one. Yeah, Justin Thomas, who, by the way, this is kind of nice. So you know the way he won the PNC Father and Son Championship with his dad Mike, who's mm. a pro as well, and it was all about oh Tiger God, and Charlie and Charlie. Everything. Well, we did, we did. I feel like we did. Anyway, uh, so um, Justin Thomas was talking yesterday and it's like the, the, the woods thing, it's really blossomed. It's nice. You know, uh, Tiger's in a very different place. So uh, Justin and his dad were over at the woods's for dinner. Like this was just not happening 15 years ago. And uh, you win like a WWE style belt if you win the PNC championship. So Justin and his dad, Mike, show up at the woods's wearing their belts. <laughs> uh, we had dinner with him at the holidays we both wore our belts over there we'd expect them to do the same thing Charlie just laughed when he saw us and Tiger said you know well done well played it was all in good fun but they fully expected it <laughs> which is really good I think um, I heard that Mike Thomas got us, that's my New Year's resolution to stop saying Thomas uh, Mike Thomas is helping young Charlie out with his golf swing actually Okay. There you well, go. does he need a huge? I mean, do you need a lot of help? <laughs> he your dad does. No. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so Mike Thomas is basically the elder dash day. <laughs> you can't go to a tournament that Mike Thomas isn't there. Here's Every- a challenge. Here's a challenge for you. This is the big one. Can you, Nathan Murphy, land us in 2021 dash day on the podcast? Dash is probably still about 10. Dash, I'd say, is getting on 15, 16. You think? What was Dash playing in the father and son? I don't know. Look, whenever he's legally of an age, we should get Dash Day on. <laughs> when you're, when we're legally allowed to contact him on the internet <laughs> without the possibility of somebody knocking on the door and arresting you. We will 100%. Because he's been there. He's been front and center. But Mike yeah. Thomas has a great time of it. He's obviously exempt and is allowed on the course. Maybe he's under some sort of a coaching role with Justin. PGA so, professionals, I'd say. Exactly. So he's, de- he's there for all the big moments. Quick fire questions to catch you off guard. DJ, how many majors 2021, Nathan? One. One. Fion? One. Okay, I'm going to say none. 
Uh, Bryson, how many majors? 2021? None. None, yeah. I'm, I'm also going to say, none. yeah, I'm going to go with none. Rory McIlroy, Nathan? None. Fionn? Oh, come on. If you keep asking Nathan first, it just seems like I'm copying him. <laughs> <laughs> because I also agree, none. Okay, I'm going for one. Rory, don't Which let one? me down. Masters. Okay. Woo. Big All time right. Joe. Let that sink in, everyone. Uh, player of the year 2021, Nathan. <laughs> Justin Thomas. I'm going to go for Justin Thomas. <laughs> Colin Morikawa. Oh, Morikawa. I was thinking, I was wondering, I was wondering, would I include it? Uh, I was thinking, will I include a how many majors Colin Morikawa question? And then I thought, he's not at that level. This is not required. Is there anyone else you want to mention as a name, Justin Thomas aside, DJ Bryson Rory aside, who you think strongly, where you're feeling it in your loins, will win a major this year? Patrick Reed. Hmm. I think Patrick Reed is going to. Patrick Reed is is some player. Uh, he's with David Ledbetter now. Um, yeah. Um, but I, I I think he, yeah, he's he's so good. So unlikable, and yet so good. So good. Yeah, not yeah. I think Brooks might have a comeback. Oh yeah! Oh, of course. I heard. I heard me that I was being hung out to dry on OTBAM this morning. No, for suggesting that. Uh, oh, not by you, Joe. You you backed me up. Fair play. Um, yeah, I think if Brooks can get his body in order again. He'll be in that nice position where he's going to be totally forgotten about all year, because which he deals with really well. And exactly. So this is <laughs> this is just what he needs. That nobody's going to acknowledge the fact he has four majors and more majors than anybody else in recent yeah. years. He's sort of the forgotten man, which is, mm. I think, exactly, and it's quite a dangerous place uh, for Kepka. I think it's just ex- exciting to see how that sort of trio of Marikawa, Wolf, and Hovland develop over the next year. Mm. Is there another class coming through quite quickly then as well that can get to a level of winning PGA Tour events that quickly? Yeah. But the three of them, Hovland in particular, from a European angle. To I see, can like he go and compete yeah. all the time? I, do, I, do, I mean, we touched on it with Paul McGinley. I do feel his chipping is odd. Like, and, mm. and when a guy himself, now I know he just won uh, before Christmas as well, but when even he's saying, like, my chipping is pretty shit, like, mm. quote, end quote, it's, it's slightly worrying, but he seems to kind of get away with it on certain courses, you know? Like, so I'm going, I'm going two Thomas, two, yeah. two majors for Justin Thomas, one for Dustin Johnson. And uh, so you're going two hang on, majors this Justin year, Thomas. two majors, this year, two Thomas? majors for Justin Thomas. Yeah, holy shit, US Open, US PGA. Wow, good god. Uh, Rory to win the Masters. Am I letting heart rule ahead here? Fionn, don't make that face for podcast listeners. Fionn just smelled something funny there. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I think Patrick Reed for the Masters. Oh, well, as if 21 20, 21's off to a rough enough start. I know, I know. I, I think, think he can make DJ, a case. DJ, How no, DJ. Case? Yeah, I'll be, I'll be interested to see with DJ, just, that, just reading around the Masters this week, a feeling that it will be such a completely different tournament in April compared to November, and that maybe people are underestimating just how different the course was playing hmm. in November compared to a regular... Now, he's shown he can play around Augusta in April as well, and he's going to be uh, absolutely brimming with confidence. Yeah, Rory Hassa will go in with a chance, but... We are now nearly seven years mm. on from a last major. I, I stick with what I said right at the end before Christmas. I just want him to be in contention going down the back nine of yeah. one of these majors. To Even if he messes it up, even if someone comes through and birdies three of the last four holes to steal it away from him 
And he'll get more stick for that than he's got for anything over the last six years if he puts himself right there. Mm. But actually, to be in that position and to start having enough runner-up finishes where you're always in contention that all the other great players have as well. Totally, totally, totally. He should almost give him a free pass. If I'm in contention, back nine of a Sunday, job done. And then pressure's off in a perverse way. So we'll yeah. see. I mean, I'm really curious, I have to say, about Deshambo because we haven't seen the new Deshambo at Augusta yet. No, that illness no. means he hasn't played Augusta. So uh, if he can find fairways, then I think it gets very interesting again. Like the, the point you made, Nathan, is so right that he can't roll the ball up to greens in the main at Augusta. So he can't be in the trees the way he was. But if he has a good week in terms of avoiding trouble and the length kicks in a little bit, like I think didn't he birdie... He birdied the 10th, his first hole of the tournament with three wood. You know, he's so long, he could guarantee himself any fairway he wants and still be right up there. So I'm still, I'd like, come oh, he April par, time. Did he a par par to start, but there were two most ridiculous pars. Oh, yeah, he, missed, he missed a short, he missed a yeah. short put. He missed a short put. Should yeah. have been birdie, birdie double bogey. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So actually 10 and 11 is him in a microcosm at Augusta. And uh, God, if we see the former, that's exciting. Mm. Um, right, one or two last few things. Greg Norman, I mean, if you've seen Greg Norman in the nip, which we all have, uh, you know that he's in good shape, but he is 65 years of age. He's having a terrible mm. time with COVID. Uh, he's tweeting the last couple of days, this week sometime. I hope this will be my final update. Back in hospital after getting a positive result. The path to recovery is long. He said that uh, despite being in good health and, if he does say so himself, having a high pain tolerance, the hideous virus was like nothing I've ever experienced before. Muscle and joint pain on another level. This is him talking. Headaches that feel like a chisel going through your head, scraping little bits off each time. I mean, for a man in that much pain, it's quite um, eloquent. Uh, going through your head, scraping little bits off each time. Fever, muscles that just uh, did not want to work, etc. Then my taste failed, where beer tastes bad and wine the same. At times struggling with memory of names and things. I mean, right there, you wish him well. Right there, he has ticked almost all the boxes for the worst aspects of this thing. That's just um, desperate. And he, geez, he, like, he is a man who, um, you know, jokes aside, is in phenomenal shape for his age. Mm. So, uh, uh, you know, 65-year-old and very vulnerable to it for whatever reason. Um, so there you are. Yeah. Um, are we going to talk about the Lisa Cornwall story? We are. This is a doozy, I think. Well... It is. Now, we are subject to different libel laws and defamatory laws to the United States, where Lisa Cornwell spoke to No Lane Up. So she did. we need to tread softly here. It's just a consequence of living with these antiquated uh, defamation laws in this country, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, do you, want, do you want to get the ball rolling, Fiona? I mean, so she was on No Lane Up. She had tweeted uh, something slightly cryptic on uh, New Year's Day because she was suddenly out of contract with the Golf Channel and... Yeah effectively she made the point that now i'm free to talk and you know she said on no lane up that the reason she had tweeted that was not to garner sympathy or create some kind of intrigue as such it was in her words effectively to let some people know that she's free to talk now and she's not going away you know so uh, she's had a big dispute with the golf channel and she went into lots of detail on no lane up and um she's taken an action against them gender yeah. discrimination um is is yeah. what she's going under. So um, I don't know, what, what, did, what did you make? You've heard it, I presume, have you? Yeah. Um, yes, I did. I mean, the, the, the kind of 
part that jumps out is, is there's one element because as you said, is this that, I mean, this is obviously subject to litigation. So she goes back, she details that the problems she had with the golf channel date back to, I think it was like 2014 or, you know, a number of years ago. And she, she's outlined a number of incidences, including a bit of a fractious relationship with Randall Chambly. But that's, that's not really, that's neither here nor there. That's obviously will be decided. But so on um, September 10th of last year, during the uh, ANA Inspiration L- LPGA tournament, she tweeted uh, that uh, Ziyu Lin, who is a Chinese player, had put a set of new irons in the bag last week. Mizuno Golf wouldn't give them to her. She had to buy them. Incredibly disappointing. And then double down, a follow-up tweet in a thread said she wasn't asking to be paid to play their irons. And she didn't buy them on a whim. She asked a tour rep for irons and he made her pay for them. Wouldn't happen on the PGA Tour ever. And so therefore, and so obviously this is, you know, became a bit of a story. And a number of uh, LPGA pros came out in defense of her and said, yeah, absolutely. It's not the first time that has happened. And, um, but what was interesting was, is that she was then taken off air for the Golf Channel. And the implication was, is that Mizuno upset with being cast so negatively had leaned on the Golf Channel and said, look, you can't have your reporter saying this kind of stuff about us. So they took her off air. And look, I mean, in the end, it's just like, you know, all these things are commercial ventures and the club manufacturers, these are big companies with deep pockets. And so, you know, they pay a lot of wages at the Golf Channel and elsewhere. Um, but then, interestingly enough, the Golf Channel put out a kind of a tweet saying that um, Cornwell's original tweet was wrong. But then it was disputed by Mizuno and by the Chinese player in, in question at the, in the whole thing. So this woman, well, Janet Lin, but Jiu Lin, who said, no, absolutely not. Cornwell was absolutely right. Leaving aside the specific details of it, what is clear is that the second tweet I thought was interesting. This wouldn't happen on the PGA Tour ever. There is no, there's no player on the PGA Tour, whether they're ranked in the top 100 or ranked 190th, who, if they were fitted for a set of manufactured clubs, that they would then have to wrangle or bargain to get these clubs. They would, because the tours nominally have an agreement with the manufacturers that they will provide the clubs for free because they are the tools of the trade. And so for this to happen, and then as a result for her, well, as she's saying, is that she was taken, well, for her to be taken off air, really throws the whole issue of the way women players are treated and the fact that like even a powerful force like the Golf Channel won't highlight this. It's a troubling thing. It's a troubling story. And um so as a result, uh, yes, so as you said, so Lisa Cornwell, who has now been released from her contract from the Golf Channel completely, she now feels she's free to talk, which then meant that she ended up on the No Laying Up podcast. And I have to say, if, I mean, obviously, they're, you know, they're not our podcast, but it was a very, very good interview. And she spoke very, very well. And um, yeah, it really was. It was an, an interesting piece altogether. Hmm. Funny, I, I didn't think, the, I thought the Mizuno thing was almost a little bit ancillary or just like the culmination of relations already being down the toilet. Like, it, for me, it was very disjointed, you know, and rambly at times. 
like initially she kicked off talking about a dinner with 15 Golf Channel employees where she felt that one analyst who suffers from anxiety was uh, being slagged off behind his back. And she confronted the person doing that, seemed to be an executive at the Golf Channel at the dinner. And that was that. I mean, uh, it's a slightly isolated story, but that was there. And and maybe it plays into her overall point that there's a toxic culture at the Golf Channel. And the Golf Channel have not responded to this, so they absolutely deserve a right of reply. Mm. So in fairness that. to no laying then, up, they did ask the Golf Channel for a response. Yes, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the Golf Channel said no. Or they sorry, did, yeah. the Golf Channel just didn't provide a response. Yeah, and the Golf Channel may feel, look, we've got our own platform. If we're going to respond, we don't need no laying up to respond uh, to. But then, I mean, the heart of it did, from my perspective listening to it, the heart of it seemed to stem, and she said everything stemmed from a dispute with Brandel Chambly on air. And... I mean, she says that they never had a good working relationship. She felt he never valued her, thought she was particularly good. And somewhere late 2018, it culminated in a moment on air where she held her hands up and said that she didn't acknowledge a strokes gained graphic on air. He obviously wanted to be teed up on it. That didn't happen. She started talking about how, well, instead of doing what she said, like a trip Eisenhower would have done, which is just understand she had missed it and then just pick it up and start talking about it live on air because that's what you do for each other live on air. She alleged, and I stress alleged because, you know, it's, it's, it's only her side of the story that Chambly started kind of waving his arms around and almost kind of pointing to her as if to say like, you know, this is what I'm working with. And, and she said that she then got on to uh, the Golf Channel senior vice president and told him, I'm pissed off. You have to fix this. I'm tired of working in this environment with this man who treats me like I shouldn't even be there. And she says from that moment, it all stemmed. Um, and she was taking off certain events she would have expected, uh, absolutely expected to do, including uh, a big event, amateur event in Alabama, and where she's from. And she'd always presented that event. And she thought throughout 19 that she was increasingly marginalized as a result of this dispute with Chambly and the complaints and she talked about the reporting structure being off because there was a, a husband and wife um, in, in positions where maybe you know it's just not best practice um, like it, it was her side of the story and I've never been there so it, you kind of have to I found myself sort of instinctively you're on her side because she's sure. one person up against a corporation and she's very likable and seems like a reliable witness and hasn't dreamt all of this up I'm sure uh, but at the same time I mean and it was asked in the podcast, I didn't see the gender aspect that didn't jump out to me. I mean, uh, maybe I, I, my radar was off, and, and, but the presenter thought the same thing. I didn't, I mean, you can have a crappy workplace environment. It doesn't always mean it's gender specific. Now, her lawyer then came on and talked about an instance which absolutely was gender specific. Um, and so maybe it all just plays into a wider issue. And he mentioned as well several NDAs, you know, cash in return for silence with employees who've had issues at the Golf Channel. And they're obviously in the midst of this move from Orlando up to Connecticut at the moment. So there's kind of noises, noises at the joint, you suspect there. I don't know. I thought like it, it was very interesting, but I kind of came away <laughs> like you, you, not unconvinced, but just you know, this all sounds a bit iffy, but you really want someone else to come forward or are you really, you know, either to dispute it or deny it or confirm it or uh, say yeah. something. Um, like I, it's very interesting because we're all 
voyeuristic in some ways and you're like ooh behind the curtain and some of the disputes and the phone calls where they're screaming at each other and all that kind of uh, stuff going on one of the allegations she made in relation to the reason why I thought the Mizuno clubs issue was good, because it's not really about whether a player on the LPGA tour is entitled to get a free set of clubs that she's been fitted for, which, but that is obviously a story. It's the fact that she highlighted the, the injustice of it. Mm -hmm. And rather than have her employer back her up or investigate it further, that they bowed to the pressure of the manufacturer. Yeah, see, that's that's where I, I'm, sorry, I'm, I'm less sure. Yeah, and I'm I'm no, no. less sure. I'm less sure from listening to it that you could say they bowed to the pressure of the manufacturer, or is it more a case of we have a real problem with Lisa Cornell? This is this is our chance to actually okay. get rid of her. So absolutely, I'm, so, I'm not so sure if their most prized asset had filed the same report would they have that taken is, the opportunity? So that, that was my interpretation true. of that, as opposed to... No, that's fair know. enough. That's fair enough. However, she does, and again, this is an allegation, she's saying that um, a man in his 60s, this is on the back of her tweet, who was my boss, screaming and cussing me out and sending me home over a gender-related issue from a women's golf tournament during the middle of a retaliation, gender discrimination, EEOC case. I don't know what organization allows this to happen, but Golf Channel... Golf Channel didn't do anything about it. I mean, these are strong allegations and where gender politics are very much at the forefront mm. of um, how we conduct business, both with others, but also within our own places of employment, etc. So it, it has become a highly sensitized and highly sensitive case. Mm. And any and, and, and you're absolutely right, Joe, to highlight at the outset that, that libel laws apply differently in our jurisdiction than they do in the United States where it's on the defendant to prove that something isn't true rather than the accuser to prove that it is, if you know what I mean. Whereas here it's the other way around. Um, so whatever hesitancy there is, but that all of that notwithstanding, and we don't know the ins and outs of the case, it is an interesting case because of these elements that we have been discussing. And you're absolutely, look, if Lisa Cornwall was the absolute star of Golf Channel broadcasting perhaps there might have been a slightly different you know and maybe you know maybe golf channel's decision to terminate or to not renew our contract or whatever it is is based on the fact that like look it's just not a good fit for us you know what i mean is it davis love the third who was mm -hmm. on cbs and then left because he was like ah, i can't do this you yeah. know i mean who knows there's lots you know, of reasons why people she, don't she argued she'd been there for seven years and every performance review was good you know so um nathan did you hear it no I, I, I didn't hear anything about it. I saw some stories about Golf Channel until you brought it up this morning. So I'm going off what I've been reading. Mm. What do you think? <laughs> Play oh, on yeah. in there. <laughs> well, here's, Come at this on prejudice, Nathan. Here's my, here's my hot take. <laughs> Let me say a couple of things about a couple of people that are very, very libelous. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like the Mizuna thing was obviously a sort of standout and then brings a real focus and... I guess maybe the difficulties as well that I think a lot of people face, ourselves included, now when you're working for certain organizations, that's the link between sponsors and the sport and your involvement and access and all of that. And it's very, I've no doubt that people in Golf Channel straight away, if you're critical of a golf supplier, they're their main advertisers, that there is going to be a response. I'm sure there's probably something in their contract. There's probably policies around all of that. There are always going to be consequences. You wouldn't have expected they would be that severe mm. and actually it was the sort of 
tweet that straight away it's in the current age it's very hard to rally against and say well actually tough you know you pay mm-hmm. for them the men get them all for free but there's obviously a lot going on in this so mm-hmm. um just let me say thank you for a couple of libelous things who, who should i really go to town on joe Where's Peter when you need him most? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's revisit this you, next week. Here's a couple of things I heard about <laughs> yeah. the following. Yeah. Uh, look, who knows? I mean, uh, even I listened to No Lane Up this week and they were reacting to listener reaction to the interview and they were justifying it by saying, look, some of her claims were consistent with their sense of the Golf Channel and they obviously have some contacts there. Uh, we don't. And my consumption of the Golf Channel and my knowledge of it is really through its website and the clips they put up there. So, Mm. look, who knows? And they're they're serious allegations. They'll be dealt with in court. But that's kind of what's going on. It's worth a listen. It's worth a listen. And be curious to see if the Golf Channel respond. And secondly, if other colleagues, past or present, have anything to say about this. You know, I suspect they won't be saying much. But, um, yeah, there we are. There we are. That was all I had jotted down, fellas. Um, I think, um, I think, yeah, I think you have it all. That was it. That was all my notes. You literally, when you sent the text earlier on and you had it all really broken down with nice little kind Mm -hmm. of dividers in between the top, very professional. Mm -hmm. Like you had starting the year as he means to go on. You had the same notes, did you? Did you just copy my stuff the same way you copied Nathan's answers? Yes. Pretty much. <laughs> the one thing I really do miss during COVID is that obviously we can't all be in a studio together and when yeah. Fionn would come in just before our recording and he'd have eight pages of notes. Oh, yeah. And then we could just t- take them off the printer yeah. and use them as our own. <laughs> Make photocopies. Um, yeah. It was always I a relief like- when you said, could you print that? And I said, I certainly <laughs> yeah. can, sir. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's Three right. copies coming right up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, but like, uh, when will this end, like? March? COVID. No, well, oh. COVID won't end till 2022, but like... March. When will what end? I'm just looking, and this is very much for our own immediate purposes. So uh, from the 9th, so from Saturday, um, I'm technically allowed fly now from the UK into Ireland, but mm-hmm. I have to You're not have welcome. A, You're not I know. Welcome. <laughs> but, so this is the issue. So I, I, I've started a new job. and um, yeah, Congratulations. Oh, well thank done. you very much. Yeah. Well, well done, Fionn. Thanks, Nathan. Um, so, you know, obviously I haven't been able to come home at all. And... So I saw the news the other day and, you know, on, provi- on provision of a negative PCR test, but I still have to restrict my movements for 14 days. And I'm like, all right, okay. And then I was thinking, it's like, well, Ireland is in full lockdown, so you can't go anywhere. I can't stay with anybody. All the hotels are closed. So, uh, uh, you know, mm. you can have all the negative PCR tests you want, but unless I'm going to sleep in a rental car... <laughs> And not see anyone except for outdoors and at two meter distance, one other person, then yeah, there's no point. So no, I think the mood is very apprehensive at the moment. Uh, I don't know about uh, you, Nathan, but certainly in the March period, March to April period, as rampant as the virus was, I was hearing of very few people who had oh. it. I heard of no one. And yeah. now suddenly the six degrees of separation has come down to like, two degrees, like friends, siblings right. are starting to be hit with it. And that just didn't happen at all. And now I'm starting to hear, I, you know, I, I'd say double figures of people who have it, who I'm one person away from. That was not the case in March, April. That's an anecdotal experience. Obviously, there are anomalies everywhere. But um, this does that 2% feel... 2% of all people yeah. in England have it. 2%, right. Yeah, I don't well, know what it is here. Are, are you having that, Nathan, that experience in Dublin? Oh, yeah. 100%. Okay. Um, 
and yeah, not not even that far. Like my wife had to go for a test for being in close contact. Um, was negative, but like relations, friends, neighbors, yeah. you name it. Yeah. And again, a lot of them a bit confused as to how they got it. That if we all understand how it escalated so quickly when you look at what happens in the pubs before Christmas and then everyone goes home. But an awful lot of people still had a very quiet Christmas and are sort of looking around going, did I get it in the supermarket? Mm. Yeah. Which is particularly worrying, which shows that, you know, even if you are doing everything right, there ain't no guarantees. Well, yeah. one of the things I've noticed is with, I'm, I'm the same. I know tons of people, well, tons. I know a few people who, who have had it. And thankfully, none of them have had very, very serious symptoms, certainly none that required hospitalization, but still, you know, it is COVID. Um, but one of the things I've noticed, particularly with Irish friends, is that when they've admitted that they either have COVID or have had COVID, there's like a hint of shame in their voice. Like they're like almost ashamed of it. It's as though, as though that somehow by admitting it, you're also admitting that you've misbehaved or you haven't followed the rules. And, and almost, I don't know anyone who hasn't, Everyone slips the rules a tiny, tiny bit, I guess. But I don't know anyone who, you know, partied or did something really stupid at all. I mean, this is just like a highly contagious airborne virus that people catch. As you said, Nathan, you can get in the supermarket. You can, you can be walking down the street, you know. It's just that's how the nature of this is. And, uh, but um, have you guys noticed that? There's a sense of like almost like shame amongst people who have had. Who have it's had. probably changing now a little bit. Because so many people have it. Yeah. A little um, bit, though. I don't think I would have rushed to tell the world I had it if I'd had it. Really? Well, and, and sorry, just out of curiosity, I mean, one, it's whatever, it's your business. But is it because you'd be afraid of being judged? No, maybe it's more just private business, actually. Okay. Relatively right. private person, I suppose. But Yeah, uh, you are. But so I definitely... I, 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 it, it shows a mystery wrapped in an enigma. That's true, yeah. Murphy would have like a... Them. Murphy would have had a two-page spread, my COVID hell. You yeah, know, I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be Claire burning it. Sign me up for the vaccine. Hey, I, well, on a positive note, I, I spoke to John Giles earlier for American listeners, uh, one of our greatest ever footballers, and yeah. he just had his second dose of the vaccine. Uh, oh, did he? Great. Delighted with life. That do, doesn't that, I mean, and it's so worrying and it's so awful at the moment and people are going through tough times. The, the uh, Knowing people who have COVID is scary. It's a nice thought to be knowing people who've had the vaccine now. Is John in Birmingham or in Ireland? Yeah, Birmingham. Uh, in, in the UK, yeah. So he's just had his second. Yeah. That's good news. Yeah, apparently they first flipped. before Christmas, didn't he? Yeah, he was in that first week. First oh, that's week fabulous. So, so. That's great. Uh, well, obviously, it's uh, all all hopes are pinned on the vaccine. Um, all hopes, fellas. Enjoy Hawaii, and we'll talk next week. The OTB Podcast Network with Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with one hundred percent natural protein powered chicken bites. 